Have you ever heard of the bubble space? Well, I hadn't either until Miriam Campbell reached out to me and asked if we could have an entertaining discussion here on Special Needs Emotion. Miriam is a speech pathologist, a social worker, and a mom, and she brings a fresh and enlightening perspective on communication. I think whether you are working with children with special needs, or you have a family, or you are in any relationship of any kind, you will find this discussion on the bubble space enlightening, interesting, and informative. After all, we can all learn to communicate just a little bit better. This podcast, Special Needs in Motion, is dedicated to helping individuals learn to move and function at their best. Listen along to learn a little and maybe even laugh and be inspired. Please review and share so others can have access to our community. I'm your host, Ilana, a physical therapist, product developer, mom, wife, author, blogger, and podcaster. I love a great discussion, coaching the families with whom I work, and finding solutions. I love putting the fun and play into therapy. And it is a pleasure to be your host. Just a quick note, if you'd like to sponsor an episode please reach out to me at specialneedsinmotion.com or just check the show notes. And any information shared here should not be taken as direct advice. You know the drill. Consult your local therapist, professional, or doctor before trying any suggestions. Well, let's go. Welcome, Miriam, to the Special Needs in Motion podcast. We go way back, and it is such a pleasure to have you with me today. It is so wonderful to be here, and I'm just so grateful to you for uh, inviting me on and for uh, giving me the time and place to be able to talk about what I love. So tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your background. So first of all, I know you from before I started this journey, so I'm grateful to you for um, for uh, being able to see me beyond just the person you know me as and see me as a professional in this capacity because it's exciting to be able to start off in this way. I have found as I've gotten older that some of the kids that I carpooled or whatever now who are in the workforce <laughs> is seeing them in a whole different light. And I just find that so beautiful. So <laughs> it really is. It's really awesome, you know, and I was telling my own children that, you know, when you're growing up, you're friends with people that are maybe six months older than you, maybe a year younger, but that's Mm -hmm. not a reality when you get older. You might have friends or colleagues that are 40 years older than you or 20 years younger than you, right? And you can relate to people on a lot of different levels. So anyways, on that note, tell us a little bit more about your background. (laughs) So I'm passionate about connection. I always have been. And when I was trying to decide what I wanted to do, then I was really trying to find a field that was something that was going to really be able to empower people to connect. So I was considering different fields and I had looked into observing different people from different fields, occupational therapists, speech therapists, social workers, called so many different um, professionals to try and get a feel for what it is that they were doing. And, um, I actually started off and I observed this fabulous speech therapist and she's the one who lit the fire for me about social skills. And I was like, wow, this is what I want to do. 
so I went to college for social uh, for speech therapy, and I learned all about communication and the functionality of communication and the structure of it and the um, practical usage of it of how to pronounce the words and how to create a sentence and then ultimately get to the place where we're actually using it and where social skills comes into speech therapy is how do you implement all these different things to actually get you to your goal, which is connection and relationship and conversation and all of those things. And so the whole time I was doing speech therapy, I had very clearly my goal of using the language in a functional manner. That was always my my direction that I was heading in. And so my internships focused on that and everything. But what happened was, is I got into the fields, into the workplace and I found that so many of my clients had more than one challenge. So they either had, you know, language deficits and they also were struggling with um, ADHD or with um, anxiety or with family backgrounds. And I felt that I need to be able to offer my clients more. So I went back to school for social work to be able to help support them with have the emotional component, you know, yeah. in in tow so I could be able to address them more holistically and be able to give them address more of what they were dealing with, whether it was at home or in school or in the classroom and, you know, just collaborating with the OTs and the social workers and the teachers and the parents. I really saw that, you know, addressing one without the other, it just wasn't, it wasn't really addressing what the child needed. Right. So, you know, it's interesting because as you're bringing this up, I have so many different thoughts, but I was thinking mm-hmm. that it's, it's a whole spectrum, right? Because there's the yeah. physical side of being able to speak and talk and there's all these different reasons. You know all the different reasons why uh, a child or adult may not be able to communicate physically. But then mm-hmm. there's the art of communication which really you have to keep going, right? Yeah. And, and even for speaking people, that art of communication is part of speech therapy. Yes. Yes, very much. And I can't tell you how many times I've told people, oh, I do speech therapy. And they're like, oh, you work with like S's or like (laughs) more advanced would be like, oh, like for stuttering, you know, like that's if like they have more information about speech therapy or they probably watch the King's speech or something um, mm-hmm. <laughs> or, or something like that. And um, to me, if I can work with a client and I have worked with so many clients who can conjugate verbs and, you know, understand pronouns and things like that, but can't actually ask for help. Um, yeah. I'm coming to mind as one of my students who I love this child. He, he was so, such a dear person. And I remember like we would say, this isn't his name, but we would say, hello, Sam. And he would say, hello, Sam, because hello was meaningless. And his name, Sam was meaningless. It wasn't his name again, Uh but, um, that, so he has all, you know, and, and he could, he would, we would, he would open up a book. Um, he had a diagnosis of ASD and, um, he would read, you know, he was maybe four years old. He would read every word of the book. Now he was on the wrong page and he was pointing not to words. He was just pointing because he had memorized the book, but the words weren't meaningful. So he wasn't matching it up with the pages that he was uh, saying, repeating verbatim, you know, and sure. that, that concept where language and the meaning and the purpose of it is to be able to communicate uh, 
and connect. And that was so, so distant. So that really became working primarily with um, children on the spectrum was really a place where I really found so much room to be able to try and work and develop and, you know, help, help them. There's so much that so much, so much I've read about, about connection and, you know, they're not really interested in connection and they avoid it. And that's why mm-hmm. they look away. And, you know, and there's so, there's so much research that directly is in opposition with that, you know, directly opposes that, which is in a concept that one of my supervisors actually gave me. And it, it really changed the way I thought about connection and uh, people on the spectrum. She described it as like caring capacity. She said, like, if you're walking across the street and so usually not, not a big deal, you know, look both ways, walk across the street. Now add rain. Okay. Now add like eight grocery bags uh-huh. and add a phone in your hand and add an umbrella and add a child clinging to your, you know, to you trying to cross the street uh-huh. and a car coming from both ways. <laughs> so she, that was sort of how she described it. She said, it's not that people on the spectrum are not wanting connection. It's a matter of there's so many competing things for their attention, whether it's um, the sound of the air conditioner or the material of the label that's scratching the back of their neck mm-hmm. or, you know, the thought that they had in their head that they're trying to figure out, like, cause it didn't necessarily make sense that like, why did that person say that or the, the vividness <laughs> Uh-huh. of the color that they're seeing, those type of things that are just requiring energy. So what the connection has to be has to be worth it. <laughs> it has to be motivating enough that they want to connect because what they're what they may be going against and all the other components, you know, from a sensory perspective or an emotional perspective or from a language perspective, the efforts that they're using, you know, they ha- it has to really be motivating the connection to be able to want to be wanting you know, helping the person want to overcome those obstacles to connect. Mm-hmm. So that really changed how I, how I viewed working with um, people on the spectrum and helping them with, you know, connection, which is the most powerful thing that we have in this lifetime. Yeah. I think. I mean, it separates <laughs> us from other yeah. being. I mean, all animals have different forms of connection, but obviously ours is at a different level and it really mm-hmm. makes us human is the way we yeah. connect. And, yeah. you know, even like in relationships, whether it's in a family or, or a spouse, spousal relationship, you know, the one thing I think that gets breaks down is when someone's like, you're not listening to me. And, and of course, yeah. that person may have, <laughs> they're distracted, right? For, yes. for a variety mm-hmm. of reasons. So that's mm-hmm. one thing. The other thing I, I wanted to mention that you touched on is just a spectrum. And then even off or on that spectrum, but mm-hmm. a lot of people have what a, what a friend of mine referred to as hidden disabilities. So mm-hmm. autism is one of those, but where you don't yes. see visibly what may be going on. And so you just assume the person can mm-hmm. communicate, right? Yeah. Yes. And then they can. And then parents that I've worked at who have children with really significant physical disabilities. I remember asking, this was many years ago, and I asked a mom of child with special needs, I said, what is your most challenging moment? And she said to me, the fact that they can't tell me what he wants, like he can't communicate. Mm. Like that was the next one. Not, 
Yeah, not not because he couldn't oh. walk or eat or anything. It was because he can't he can't mm-hmm. communicate. Yeah. Yes. So so true. And uh, it's 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 so basic. It's like it's so it's so core to um, being able to just like such as basic human right. It feels like um, that that ability and that the skills that are needed to be able to connect and to be able to communicate. And um, that was really what I had found when I went back to school for social work. Was you know. The, that combination between understanding, okay, what are the cognitive skills that are needed? And then what are the emotional skills that are needed? And I learned a lot about self-regulation and a lot about like make, helping the body get to a place where, you know, as you mentioned, like hidden pieces, whether it's anxiety, whether it's you know social anxiety or, or otherwise, or something else that's bothering them altogether, being able to get to that place where you are able to connect and able to communicate um, beyond grunts, <laughs> you know, and sometimes, sometimes with clients, that grunt is really my goal. Like I have, I have a client I'm working with now who we want her to be able to, to, to literally grunt so she can say, I need your attention. I need your assistance. That's what we're working on now is for her to make a vocalization and to work with every client where they're at to, okay, so then now we have her grunting. So I have another client who grunts and now we want her to gesture together with the grunt and different, you know, just being able to help people communicate, help them get their needs met. And beyond that, you know, every, every client at the skill set level where they're at, push them to the next place where they can now have a more enriched life and a more connected life and a more, you know, expressive of who their potential could be. It's just very, very incredible. Okay. So as parents, obviously there's a huge, like you're saying, some people you're working on grunting. I Mm -hmm. I actually have a child like that. I'm not the speech therapist, but I see Mm -hmm. the mom, you know, really asking questions and waiting for that grunt. So I have an idea of what you're talking about. And then obviously Mm -hmm. on a, on the other end of the spectrum, you know, refining communication, but what, what are some basic things that it's okay if you don't feel comfortable answering this, but what are some basic things that you, that you would say children need as they're developing in order to communicate well? That is such a good question. So it goes back to what I had mentioned briefly about the caring capacity. Um, uh, And again, I'm going to, I'm going to reference children on the spectrum just, just because it's, uh, it's um, usually an exaggerated form of what many people not on the spectrum you know, well, I mean, the spectrum is a spectrum, but people who don't have a diagnosis are struggling with. It's just a more exaggerated form of it. Uh-huh. Um, are, that's what I find. So like, let's say, uh, I can't tell you how many students I have had that are fascinated with trains and all they want to talk about is the schedules of trains and mm-hmm. when this train comes and where they go and what the track is and what the color of that coat is and literally can talk all day long. And so for some of them, I've noticed on IEPs or different types of things like that, they'll say like, um, we'll help them be able to develop uh, the perspective taking so that way they can have conversations about things that the other person's listened, interested in. So that way, instead of everyone and their, all their classmates or parents or family that are bored sick, uh, you know, uh, listening to them talk about their trains to be able to help them be able to talk about other things. But I would take it a step back before you get to that place, because I do think that that is an important skill, perspective taking. And that's something that I, you know, work very much. I'll get to talking about the curriculum that I have later, but um, 
is just to take a step back and be like, this is what this child is passionate about. Let me join this child and connect where the child is at. Let me start where the child is at. And so, so often we're trying to push our children to get to the next place. And we have to remember, like, when we want them to be able to have the motivation to communicate, to have that passion to communicate, to have the interest to communicate, let's sort of let them have opportunities where they can enjoy it, where they can talk about what they love mm-hmm. and and to really let them experience the joy of connection. And from that place of joy of connection, then we have access to them. Then we can sort of help them redirect, shape, form. But it has to be coming from a place of connection. You know, so much, I love so much that. Food. I love that because even when I'm doing physical therapy, so sometimes mm-hmm. I have a parent that's like, I want them to crawl. They're not crawling yet. And so mm-hmm. I need to go to where that child is and find mm-hmm. the joy and the play in that space mm-hmm. before they have yeah. trust to, exactly. to go out of that, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Um <laughs> This is embarrassing to admit this, but um, my two-year-old, uh, he said to me the other day, he said, mommy, phone in pocket. He wanted me to put my phone down and put it in my pocket. He literally said phone in pocket. He can't even say a full sentence, but that was important enough for him to say to me, which was, mom, give me attention. I want your focus. You know, I, I heard this, um, this uh, uh, I don't remember if it was a quote or a meme or whatever, but it was saying um, how, you know, I wish my mom would hold me the way she holds her phone all day long, giving it her undivided attention. (laughs) And getting back to this idea of being able to meet the child where they're at, giving the child the the pleasure of connection, giving them your focused attention. There's nothing that's more motivating. We might think like, oh, it doesn't matter if I notice their praise. I I have to give them the iPad in order to give them a reward. And that's what's going to motivate them to say the sentence. I almost never give... um, motivators that are non-intrinsic motivators because what I find is that attention works. Attention is enough. Yes. Most often that, you know, now I'm not talking about somebody who you, you, you can't even access on a baseline level, which I don't really necessarily believe is true, but let's say, you know, even holding their hand, um, in a clinic that permits that, (laughs) but, um, you know, being able to just, uh, access a baseline level of, connectivity where it's a place of enjoyment. And that's really why um, what I found was missing from the social skills curriculums that were already out there was I found that the social skills curriculums were very, very strongly based from a place of um, what can I get and um, judgment. Mm -hmm. What I mean by that is what I found the social skills curriculums, they were very strongly focused on if I don't make eye contact, he's going to think I'm weird. If I talk about trains, he is going to stop talking to me. Now that is all true. And it's not that I don't address that at all because sometimes that is part, it all, you know, it is always part of the picture, like the person we're involved with and understanding their perspective, that's part of the picture. But what I really want for kids is to be able to Recognize connection and the joy of connection in of itself, intrinsically, not just because then I won't get what I need, but that way connection in of itself is a, is a place of joy. So, um, to be able to do that, what I found is that it's connection is a very abstract concept. <laughs> 
especially for kids who are struggling with abstraction in general, you know, the more right. concrete it is, the more success. So what I really um, needed to do was find a way of helping them concretize this abstract concept. And so that's really what I did with my curriculum. Um, I made it as visual as possible. Um, and the name, the bubble space, really, that's that's the main tool that I use to help them understand this concept of connectivity. When you're together with another person, you're talking to your mother, you're talking to your friend about the trains, if that is what it is mm-hmm. initially, you know, you are sort of in this, you know, halo, you know, place that is just surround, you know, like just like heavenly, it's a heavenly environment of just connectivity, whatever the topic is, whatever the, it, you're, you're, it's a, it's like a, it's like nirvana. Yes, exactly. You're, you're, it's like a physical space that you're, that you, um, are contained within. And that is a place of connection. And that's really the, what, I, that's the main thing that I wanted kids to understand when I'm teaching them social skills. That way they can be, um, learning it within context and everything like that. So all of my social skills that I do are within that framework of the bubble space that you and another person or a group of people are involved with whether it's the group of your class or whether it's the group of your family or, you know, which now with Corona, people are much more conscious of. And just that, that concept of we exist within a space. And um, I found it extremely important because I'd be working with a client and I'd be teaching them the skills. Um, this one, this one uh, six-year-old boy comes to mind, precious little boy. And we were working on greetings and uh, leaving and entering an area. And we spent the whole session, you know, he came into the room, he said, hello, we made eye contact, we sat down, we read a book, we saw all the characters, how they said hello when they came into the room before they left the room, they said goodbye, great, no problem, we did our puppets, (laughs) hi, goodbye, the session's over, he walks out of the room. (laughs) I was like, something is missing here. (laughs) Like something is not working. You know, like we did the role playing, we did all these things. What is missing? And I realized he has no idea of this concept of connection. It's not meaningful to him. I had just spent this wonderful time, this wonderful experience of teaching him these ideas and him, you know, seeing him, you know, saying it back to me and practicing it. And the space that we shared was not like a hollowed space. It wasn't like this, like, um, contained um, expression that he could really tap into because whatever it was that he, all the sensory pieces that he had to deal with, all the language challenges, all the demands that were being placed on him, you know, because we're trying to help him grow and, and communicate and connect in the most powerful way. But he was missing the point, which was we are sharing a space of connection. So when we leave, we have to exit that space through our password goodbye. And that's really how I see the social skills working in the social, sp- the bubble space curriculum, which is why I really came to developing it because I found that, you know, the programs that were out there weren't focused on connection as the main focus and weren't focused on um, helping the kids understand the whole uh, underlying concept and the platform for which all these so- social skills were being built. It was just random rules. Like, 
Mm-hmm. She makes me look at her. You know, I don't know, whatever. Right. <laughs> she it's makes me stressful. Say like I have to make eye contact yeah. and I can't say certain things and I can't. None. Yes, it is. It's just like so rule based. Yes, yes. Yeah. So you called mm-hmm. your curriculum the bubble space and yes. you've sort of touched on that, but basically it's this idea of that the people who are communicating are within a bubble. Is that correct? Yeah. Yes. People, when people are connecting, they're, they share space. Instead of like them un- learning, you know, disparate rules about social rules, social skills rules, it all fits within the context of this space that you're sharing and the bubble. So like moving too far from a person stretches the bubbles, like it's thinned out. You, you, you can't hear them. It, it, like you lose that space between you. So, um, I actually have a social skills book called The Bubble Space, which is coming out uh, later this year, which I'm so excited to share. Um, and I really tried to address the these issues that I was finding in the other curriculums to really be able to help kids be able to understand why am I doing these skills? What's the context for it? And it really serves as a visual aid, um, you know, pictures worth a thousand words, for them to really understand like, what, what are, what are these, what are the, what is this context? So it's really, um, it's the, the book was built as um, a basis of a curriculum where each page of the curriculum serves as um, the, like the groundwork for all the social skills activities and concepts that come off of it. So um, it goes, it's a, a brother and a sister and they go through their school day um, and um it, it's, you know, so it's, it's in sequence and there's like, as a speech therapist, of course, like I can't, I can't but help putting in all these like emotional uh, identifications uh-huh. and perspective taking and, you know, all the main idea and scripting. And it, it's just, it's, it's laden with all potential, so much potential for, um, for a therapist to use, for parents to use, um, you know, for teachers to use. And that's really what I do. What I do is I'm, working one-on-one with parents and I'm working with teachers to help them implement it in their classrooms. And I'm working with therapists so that way they can use it. And um, it's just incredible because the the children then walk away with a sense of ownership of what it is. So even if it's on the most basic level, a parent reading the child for bedtime, the concepts like are, they're just sort of like open your mind to these things where like, you know, I regular any child you can very often see a parent saying like say hello say goodbye say hello say goodbye like the child's like what is this like why are you telling them to say hello and say goodbye right. yeah just empowering to them they just then become you know understanding what is this concept what is this that mom keeps on bugging me say hi to grandma like I'm here in the room. She sees me. Why do I have to say hi? Like, <laughs> what is it all about? Like, that, right. It really, sounds the book like really we crazy. could use this as adults, not just for our children. Um, so the truth is, is that I have taught these concepts to adults, but I'm I'm still trying to figure out how I can, um, because it is the exercises adults could for sure do. And I have like an activities and exercise, uh, piece that goes along with it, you know, for, to support teachers, to support parents uh, and therapists as they go through the book, the book page, or let's say they, you know, can eventually what I hope to do is create posters where they can have the poster on the wall. And then, okay, these are the exercises you can do with their classroom. I have them written up, but I haven't yet uh, worked on publishing them yet, but I'll get to it. 
Yeah, you will. Yes, yes, I will. And um, and that's really because I want I want the kids to understand what is going on here and how do I apply this and give give the responsibility back to the kids where they can then realize like, oh, I want connection and this is what I can do and empower them. You know, that they can understand this, this, these are the, the bubble rules or the bubbles tricks. You know, the, these are the tricks to keep your bubble. You know, you want to you maintain your bubble. You want to talk about your train for a hundred hours. And these are what you, this is what you're going to need to do. This is how you do the perspective taking to be able to accomplish that. This is how you maintain your eye contact. These are the facial expressions. This is how you read expressions, all the different, uh, tools that are, you know, that are inside the book, that are inside the curriculum to help, um, to help them be able to understand the context that all these skills are based around and really circulating. I love the idea of empowering children and helping them to advocate for themselves because with that comes responsibility. You know, it's not just a band-aid. It's not a crutch. Mm -hmm. It's actually Mm -hmm. making them take ownership and have more responsibility Mm -hmm. for, in this case, Mm -hmm. you know, the words they choose or how they communicate. Mm -hmm. So, and I think that crosses over so many different disciplines. You know, it crosses over yes. into your education and doing your own homework. And, you know, it's not to push all this responsibility onto children that's not appropriate, but it's to allow them to, when you take ownership, you just, you're empowered. You can do so much more. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And and I, I also find it like um, validating to them. I was working with a student on Sunday and um, she was struggling with eye contact. And so I kept on, I said something and she was looking off onto, you know, whatever happened to catch her fancy, the leaf that was passing because we were doing it outside with social distancing. And um, so I said it again. I knew she heard me, but I was trying to show her. I was trying to illustrate something to her about eye contact. I wanted her to understand um, like how she was choosing her, the reaction that she was receiving. So I asked her, I'm like, Oh, did you like when I said it again? She's like, no, I already heard it. I was like, do you know why I said it again? She said, you think I didn't hear you? I said, yeah. I asked, I'm like, why why do you think I didn't hear you? I sort of put it all back on her where she then came to the conclusion of, Oh, if I'm not showing that I'm listening, if I'm not displaying that I'm listening, I'm going to have to deal with people repeating things a hundred times or calling my name a hundred times, which none of the, things that she wants. Mm-hmm. So she had mentioned like her teacher always says things a bunch of times. I said like, Oh, the man, that's so annoying. Like, what are you, what are you going to do? Like, how are you going to deal with this? She's like, well, I'm going to show them I'm listening the first time. So then we had to practice. Like, well, what does that look like? You know, how does it look like? What does it, what does it look like? What is it, what does your body look like? What does your body language look like to show what that looks like to uh, listen? Mm-hmm. So you don't have to listen to your teacher say it a bunch of times because your teacher will know I heard right away. Do you know what this reminded me of when you were just talking about showing that you're listening was um, I think when you were in a speech therapy school, we Mm -hmm. were at a camp together. I think I was observing. Camp Therathon. Okay. Anyways, so, but one of the things she was teaching and it stuck with me was this whole body listening. Mm -hmm. And they're using your whole body to listen. And for some children who have you know, visual challenges or auditory challenges or anything like using the rest of their body to listen can make such a profound difference. Yes. 
That is so true. A hundred percent. I can't even tell you like with, with this specific child that we were, um, that I was working with on Sunday. So she had, so when I said like, why wasn't I listening? So she turned her head to look at me. It was still too hard for her to look at me, but her whole body was faced the opposite direction. So I said, do you tell me when, you know, tell me which, which way does it look like I'm listening? So I acted out what she was doing. I didn't tell her I'm acting out what you're doing, but I just imitated what she was doing. And then I imitated, then I acted out somebody whose body posture was facing the person who was leaning forward, whose face uh, showed focus and attention. And you could see how she's just, her response, like she could feel the difference in connection, could she could feel the difference in focus. And these are very, these are not things you can totally quantify, but she could see it because we had really concretized what is it that we're doing? What is it that your body is doing? And like you're saying, the whole body listening, your eyes are looking, your mouth is quiet, your hands are still, your feet are still. And in my book, I actually go through um, identifying how to, how to tell you know, to notice what, are, what is the person doing? What is the person, um, you know, there's a teacher in the background who's tapping their foot. What is the teacher thinking? What is the teacher feeling? And, you know, that's one of the exercises that the teacher or therapist can go through, a parent can go through, um, you know, each of the actions of each of the characters. Like, what does that mean with the foot tapping? How's the teacher feeling? Oh, you see that the kid in the picture is kicking the other person's chair. So then you see, okay, that person's talking with their, the teacher's talking with their foot by tapping it and the student's talking with their foot by kicking the chair. And you just sort of know, start realizing and getting into the pattern of recognizing how much people are communicating with their body and how to, and it breaks down exactly what to look for. How do you look for it? And then coming to conclusions of therefore, what do I understand? Right. Like for some people, they just like sitting around a table, let's say they just literally collapse and fall asleep at the table. And then finally somebody realizes, oh, they're not listening. But, you know, for most of us, it's probably a little bit more subtle than that. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Looking at your watch, checking, you know, looking away, taking half a step back, moving your body, uh, angling outwards. Um, It's always interesting to notice, um, (laughs) especially when I'm uh, working in school, very often uh, teachers are very pulled in, you know, they're pulled in many directions. I actually decided to work as a teacher for a few years because I had, I had gone into classrooms so often telling teachers like, this is how you should generalize this concept. This is how you should do this. And I was like, why aren't they doing it? So I was like, I need to be a teacher so I can actually see what it's like yeah. from the teacher's perspective. And I understood a lot, you know, a lot more why while I was talking to the teacher, the teacher is halfway walking away. And I'm like, they don't have time for this. It's That's not, okay. you know, that was really when I decided to, you know, in my own practice to make sure that I was working in an environment where there was collaboration because the amount that I was able to help students when I had a team working along um, was like completely disproportionate, I guess, proportionate to the amount of people that were focused and disproportionate to the amount of people that who I'd been working with who had no support. Uh, the difference between working with somebody for half an hour over their 24 seven you know, week <laughs> that they are doing any skill, you know, walking or talking or having that half hour, it was inconsequential if they didn't have the carryover and the generalization and the team and the collaboration to be able to work on these um, skills. So I've, you know, been blessed to be able to have uh, environments where the collaborative team is so involved. So I can work on eye contact and I know that 
the occupational therapist and the physical therapist and the teacher and the home ec, mm-hmm. you know, and the yeah, everyone the team. Every, and the parents, everyone is going to not give this child something unless they look and ask. And then you know what? The child grows by leaps and bounds. Now the child doesn't have to struggle with for the frustration of, I asked a hundred times, mom, for cucumbers, you know, and oh my did you gosh, I wish, mom I, could, <laughs> I, wish you I could do that with uh, tummy time because <laughs> that's yeah. like the hardest thing yes. for me yes. to get parents to do, particularly parents of children with special needs because they may cry uh-huh. more frequently or, mm-hmm. and I'm like, if we don't get through tummy time, like if everybody's not doing tummy time with this child, mm-hmm. you know, like I need a whole team approach. Right. Yeah. So that would yeah. be really awesome mm-hmm. if I got everybody, everyone in the family doing tummy time. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. I understand that team approach. It's so important. Well, you have had such incredible um, experiences in yeah, your you. career so far <laughs> that have given you so much perspective from teaching and speech therapy and social work and being a mom yourself. And mm-hmm. it's really just delightful to hear about that. And I love the name, the bubble space. I just love this idea of this like special space for yes. communication. And it's such a great visual. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was, it was literally a gift. Like it was like an epiphany. Like I felt like God just gave me this epiphany. <laughs> I had been, I was really struggling. There was one client I was really struggling with trying to like, how do I help him? It was that one that was walking out of, of the room after spending a whole session. And I was like, he, he needs to understand what he's doing. Like there's no intrinsic motivation for him to do this, to work on this skill without understanding. Like mm-hmm. I, it's too hard for him. Otherwise it's it. And it just came to me and I, you know, I'm not, I'm not like a businesswoman in that way, but I really, I had this idea and I was like, this can really help people. This can really help kids. I have to share it. I I have to spread the word. And, um, that was really my motivation to write the book and, um, you know, hopefully when it comes out, be able to spread it and, uh, coach people through, through it. Um, being able to talk to parents and help them with their, you know, the, speak to the teachers and the therapists and the child to get everyone to, you know, from where they're coming from, be able to implement the skills and understand different specific exercises that they can do or specific um, uh, goals that they can, how they can implement these same things. So that way, you know, the children can make progress and utilize these skills that are accessible to them in a way that is meaningful to them and they can connect which is right, because so- we've learned that education without good communication skills or relationships without good communication skills, it's empty. Yes. So, I, yes. you know, children need this in order to navigate through life and, and to have healthy, healthy relationships. So yeah. if people want to reach you or find your book, how mm-hmm. can they do that? So my... Email is thebubblespace at gmail, and I have a Facebook page, The Bubble Space, um, and I have a website that's also The Bubble Space, <laughs> and um, our and my book will hopefully come out on Amazon, and the teacher's guide and parent guide and therapist guide to being able to support with activities and further uh, educational tools and manuals and hopefully hopefully posters and flashcards and different things like that that can really help our 
children. Okay, great. And it sounds like you will be creating your own community of bubble space followers <laughs> or bubble yeah. floaters, we'll call them. <laughs> yes. Well, really, as many people as can connect, that's, that's, uh, that's the goal. Okay. Well, that's awesome. Well, thank you, Miriam, for thank joining you. me. Thank you so much. Thank you. And yeah, I'm looking forward to connecting and I really appreciate you connecting with me very, very much. Thank you for all you do. You're welcome. Thank you for listening and sharing. I really appreciate your helping me spread tips that might be of help to someone you know. And remember that why is not near as important as what and how. Have a special day.